The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today's episode of Disability Matters has been previously recorded. Please enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're having a great day today. I am so excited today about our show with the new executive director for the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley. And I just want to say I know him, I love him. Um, he's really going to make a difference, not just there, but across the country. A really dedicated disability leader. Welcome to the show, Stuart James. Oh, thank you. What an introduction. Well, very happy to have you, Stuart. I'm happy to be here. So, Stuart, before we get going, for our listeners that uh, do not know you, how about if you first talk about how you know you got involved in the disability community with your own disability? Um, that's um, that's, yeah. You know, it's an interesting story because I think for um, a large portion of my life, I actually never really wanted to talk about my disability. Um, and, um, my mom, I have osteogenesis imperfecta. My mom was very instrumental in, um, creating the OI foundation here in the United States. And I'd never go to a meeting. She couldn't get me to go to a meeting kicking and screaming. Um, because I just sort of didn't want my disability to define me. And part of ignoring it was really a coping mechanism. You know, in fact, I'm a first generation beneficiary of the organization I run today. Um, I went to public school in 1975. It was the first year, really, that I was uh, allowed to go. Um, The school didn't want me to go. My parents um, advocated on my behalf, and um, we sort of made that happen. And there was really no formula to it. Um, We kind of just figured out stuff as we went. Um, When obstacles presented themselves, we came up with solutions, and uh, that's sort of how it was. I was very fortunate to go to a very uh, small public school in New York. Um, So a lot of the kids that I graduated high school with, I actually went to kindergarten with. So they just sort of knew me for who I was, and I think everything was, um, they just accepted me for who I was. In fact, one of my very good friends from high school is a mutual friend of ours, Mark Valentino. Um, And and he was a, a big part of that process for me. Um. And so I just never wanted to talk about my disability. In terms of me, it was, it was, I never saw it in my own eyes. And I wanted the conversation about my life to be about things that were um, other than that. Um, but when I was in China, um, and I lived in China for 10 years, um, I 
had some pretty influential people in my life. One of them was a gentleman named Ian Stewart, who is the co-founder of Wired Magazine here in the United States. And um, primarily him, but a group of other people started to give me some trouble <laughs> about why I didn't do more uh, to help people with disabilities, particularly in China, where if, if at that time, and this was now three or four years ago, if, if you were to see someone with a disability in Beijing, it was likely me. Um, they just weren't visible. They weren't in the public eye, um, although the city itself is quite accessible. Um, and, but I just had this mental wall, and I couldn't knock it down. And there was sort of a, a series of events that took place starting around 2008, um, I had been invited to speak to a group of families in China, in Beijing. All of them were upper-middle-class families. They all had kids with physical disabilities. And uh, I was invited to speak about my life. And I was running China's America's Cup sailing program at the time. And um, like I was a lot of that time, I was late. And I didn't have a chance to speak to anybody before or, or get a sense of the environment. I went right up on the stage, and I was startled by what I saw in front of me. And what I saw in front of me were 200 families, again, all with middle and upper class incomes, all with kids with physical disabilities, and yet not a single child in this room had a proper wheelchair. They were in strollers, they were in their mother's arms, they were on the floor, they were in hospital wheelchairs where, you know, the hospital wheelchair is like, you know, really big and the child is really small and they're padded in with pillows, but I don't count that as, as uh, what I'm referring to. And I just, the image of it really struck me. And um, I, after I got off the stage, I started talking to these parents and I, I started asking them why they don't buy their child a proper wheelchair. And the answer was, um, well, first, it was always that, you know, they're very expensive. And I'd say, okay, but you, you drove here in a BMW. So, you know, that's not going to work for me. And, and then they'd get to this idea that, well, in China, um, those kids, you know, they just can't do anything. Um, they're not going to be able to go to school, and they're not going to have a family, and they're not going to have a job. And I, I realized that, the challenge for those kids and anyone in China was really mental, not physical. It was just that nobody thought they were capable. Um, and I still was not enough to get me over this barrier I created, so I, I kind of took that in. And at that event, I had been invited to go meet some kids in the countryside who also had OI. And I decided to do that. I went one weekend out with a gentleman named Keith Weiss, and uh, we drove out there. And, um, you know, there were two girls. They were living in a, in a very old brick building with no heat, and neither of them had left their house in, in a long time. They didn't have a wheelchair. One of them um, had not left her bed in more than a year. And... The parents were having this long conversation about who was going to take care of them. In fact, one of the interesting things was the dad um, actually didn't wasn't there. He refused to meet us because he was so ashamed of his family situation. And I I kind of took that in, 
and and then sort of forgot about it again. And about a year later, a gentleman named Peter Smith, who's Dr. Peter Smith, who's the um, head of surgery for Shriners Hospital in Chicago, he came to China and he was doing free surgeries for um, kids with OI mostly. And my mom knows him very well from the OI Foundation and had asked me to go out and take him to dinner. Um, so I went down there to meet Dr. Smith at a small hospital in the countryside. And one of the things that startled me is when I got into the parking lot, there's this middle-aged Chinese man, and he's running around with a big smile on his face, and he's kind of organizing everything. And he's calling me by my name. And I think, my God, I don't know who this gentleman is. And it turns out he was the father of those two girls. And there was this huge shift in the way he was perceiving his family. And at the time, I thought it was because we had left some wheelchairs there for these girls, and I thought they had gotten mobile. Um, And I thought, really, that was the big impetus for them to change their life. Um, But I had a meeting with a very famous guy in Canada named Rick Hansen, who's a paraplegic. He's done a lot to raise money for spinal cord injuries. Um, And he came to China to do an event that I produced for him. And I was having dinner with him, and he said, you know, you're an idiot. (laughs) And I'm like, what? And he's like, you know, you only got half the story right. The other half of that story, and the important part, is they got to see me, those girls, and their dad, and their family. Because until they had seen me, they didn't realize, and, and I show up and I have a car and driver, I have a wife, I have an education, I have a job, I have money, I travel around the world. They never even thought that was possible. They never thought any one of those elements was possible, let alone all of them. So it inspired them and it gave them, you know, we, we talk a lot now in a disability movement about having to advocate for yourself. But before that, you have to understand what you're advocating for. And I think that was the end. So there was, you know, there were a lot of things that happened, and there were a couple of things that happened beyond that. And I just realized that um, I had some skills that could really make a difference in some lives, and that maybe it was time for me to apply those skills to something more meaningful than making money. And um, so there was that, you know, my ability to talk about my disability is, um, uh, it's not come full circle yet. I'm, I'm still struggling with it sometimes, um, but it's an evolution and, and uh, I'm working on it. Well, you know, what I think is so amazing, Stuart, is that uh, several things actually that you said, but one Going way back, how your mother, she had founded an OI in New York. Is that what you mean? Yes. But she was very instrumental in the National Foundation as well, developing the National Foundation. Okay. That blows my mind that you would not go. That is amazing. I mean, this just (laughs) shows the stigma that exists for people with disabilities. And in your case, it's visible. But there are so many people... Um, with disabilities that will not disclose, and th- and that really just shows that just shows you what I mean. 
you know, and, and and I also think you're a great role model for young people out there listening to the show right now, because I have epilepsy. I'm not ashamed I have epilepsy. It's just part of who I am. But it's because of people like you and others, leaders in the disability community, that we can help other young people, you know, come to grips and not be ashamed. You know, it's funny we're, we're talking today because I live in California now. My mom's actually coming this afternoon to, for a visit. Um, yeah, the idea that I wouldn't participate in the OI Foundation, if my mother was here right now, she would go on for hours and probably not say very nice things about me. It used to be she was so disappointed that I wouldn't do that. You know, I, I want to clarify, I don't think I was ever really ashamed of my disability. It was just that I was very afraid that it was going to define me. And I just didn't want it to define me. And my my way of dealing with that was that we just, we, it, 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 you know, you said, I don't have an invisible disability. Mine's quite visible. It's there. You can see it. You can see that I use a wheelchair. And I just got this idea that we don't need to talk about it any further than what you see. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I don't know really how to explain it. I'm working on it. <laughs> well, you know, that I do understand what you mean. But, you know, now... Here you are leading the historic SEAL where, you know, you're having an impact on people with disabilities across the country, just as Judy Human did, which is how I met you originally. So I also think it's amazing how that um, your experience in China had such an impact on you. Yeah, you know... um... I think that a lot of credit goes to Ian Stewart and uh, a group of people, Thomas Offner, Martin Barnes, who were living with me in Beijing. They all have media backgrounds. And once we got to sort of identify that the problem was really a perception problem and that we're all marketing media people, this is what we do, we change people's perceptions. But it was because those guys encouraged me, actually, almost forced me <laughs> to to do something about it um, that I ended up um, in the space. We created a program. In fact, I'm very happy today because uh, I just got an email this morning saying we've, we were approved for our nonprofit status here in the U.S., but we started a company called Wheels Plus Wings, and Wheels Plus Wings is not like the Center for Independent Living. It's not a service provider. It is essentially a marketing company, and it's a marketing company that sets out to change the story about disability and how we present it. And that's, it started in China, and um, we've just opened, and, and we just got our, our 501c3 approval this morning. So um, it really was that guy, those guys and that group and my experience with that group that solidified my desire to, to keep going in this direction. Oh, that is awesome. That is really, yes, and I mean, so many people throughout the world, uh, in other parts of the world, do not have access to wheelchairs or to any type of accessibility. So that is, uh, I know you told me once, didn't you go to a building, it was a newer building, but they didn't have access? Uh, that's right, yeah. Um, I think, where was it a school? Do you know, one of the, it, it was, I think, um, one of the reasons I didn't go back to my old career, one of the reasons I stayed here, even after starting Real Plus Wings, 
and, and I had when I started it, I had said I would commit a couple of years to doing it, and then then run back to you know my old career where I felt safe. Um, but one of the reasons I stayed is Wheels Plus Rings works in a way where what we do is we tell people's stories in Asia about those with disabilities who just do incredible things. And I know sometimes there's, there's a bad idea about that in the disability community in the U.S., but we think, you know what, role models are role models. We need to inspire people. Let's just tell these stories. Inevitably, the families would say, yeah, but those guys are American. Those are European. We can't do that here. And we would say, yeah, we can, and we're going to show you. And what we would do is we would identify a child between the age of 6 and 16 who real, real moxie, really wanted to do something with their life. And we'd give them a wheelchair, usually the best wheelchair we could find and uh, we could buy. We paid for it. We, had, we have a lot of supporters, corporate supporters. We'd pay for it. And then we'd give them an experience that showed them that they could, in fact, do those things they wanted to do. And it wasn't just to show them. It was to show their parents and their community and the city and everybody else because we put it out into the medium. And we did things like we went ballet dancing with China's best ballerina. We played tennis with Sloane Stevens, the American tennis player. We launched an art career for one young lady with uh, a Chinese movie director named Sway Hark. Um, but uh, when we did the, the two girls, we did the dancing and the tennis, they were um, two girls that were paraplegics. Um, they had had accidents at school. One was seven, one was eight. They spent their entire day going to rehabilitation in Beijing with doctors telling them that that's all they could do, that they could try to walk again. And if that didn't work, pretty much that was it. And their parents didn't have a lot of money, no money really, didn't have the ability to get them a wheelchair. And we came in and said, hey, you know, this is just total nonsense, and we're going to show you a different way. And they were really skeptical, the mom and dad, and we had to really persuade them. But once we got these kids in a wheelchair, a proper wheelchair, and once we had Hong Lan, China's best ballerina, come in and say, hey, look, you can dance, and I'm going to show you. And we had Sloane Stevens come in and say, you can play tennis, and I'm going to show you, and it's okay. This is cool. I think it's cool. I think this is perfectly acceptable. Then their parents got a new idea, and they started to advocate in a way that was meaningful. And one of the things I'm most proud of, we've helped about um, 12 kids, I think, so far with wheelchair swings in China, and where most of those children with disabilities aren't allowed to go to public school. They're allowed legally, but it doesn't really ever happen. Um, all of our kids are back in public school. Um, because once the parents understood what they were advocating for, once they saw a picture painted for them in a different way, they knew what they were fighting for. So uh, that is, those results and that experience um, solidified my commitment to, to the space. Oh, that, that, that is awesome. And we'll talk more about other things, including this commitment to international quality for people with disabilities. Hey, if you just joined us, we're talking to Stuart James, the new executive director for the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley, California. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice. 
where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Welcome back, everyone. Hey, if you just joined us, we're talking to Stuart James, the executive director, new executive director for the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley, California, who worked 10 years in China on issues for people with disabilities before moving back here to the U.S. and who I met through the legendary and wonderful friend of mine, Judy Human. Um, and we've been talking about different issues. Stuart, I did have one quick question. What barriers did you deal with the most growing up in the United States and being a person with a disability? Oh, you know, I think for me, you know, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, so really a lot of the challenges were, were, were physical barriers. Um, my school was not accessible. Um, it was three floors, and I used to have to leave class a little bit early so that someone could take me down the stairs. Um, and uh, so physical barriers were, were probably the biggest challenge. Um, one of the things I think I did face, um, because I didn't have sort of role models in the space, is I was a really good student um, when I was in elementary school. And my grades really took tanked when I was in junior high school and high school. And it was a, largely because um, 
I started to face social challenges. Um, you know, when you get into junior and high, junior high and, and high school, um, all your friends start to you know grow and get big, and physical appearance um, becomes very important, and girls become very important. And I was being left behind in those spaces, and so I was trying to compensate um, through a variety of other ways, sometimes not such good ways. Um, and I think uh, the grades suffered. So there was a social challenge and not having anybody sort of pave the way for me. I didn't know what it looked like, what I was supposed to be doing or, or how this worked. Uh, that was really, really difficult. And when I look back on it, um, it changed for me when I got into college because once I got into college, I started focusing on the things I wanted to do for my career and, and, and at, at the importance of of high school and the social dynamics of that did no longer were relevant. Um, but I think socially that was, that was a real, real challenge. As it is for a lot of uh, young people. And, you know, um, I think a key thing you stressed there was a role model uh, or a mentor because when someone mentors another person uh, with a disability that has a disability, oh, it makes such a difference. And that's why it's so important for us to reach out to our youth with disabilities uh, today. And, 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 Stuart, by the way, you made a big, big, big change because a lot of people may not know this. I hope they would from hearing you talk earlier. But you have a very strong business background um, and came back and made a decision. I actually remember when you told me that you had decided you wanted to work in the disability area, like disability rights area. Um, and so what made you do that? And, and well, what has that transition been like? I think it was a lot of those experiences I just mentioned, but it was, um, it was confirmation that really, you know, I think, I think every movement, whether it's civil rights or, or, or sexual orientation, or religion, or whatever it may be, um, every movement has an evolution. And the first part of that is creating access and opportunity. And we do that by changing laws. And the disability movement did a great job of that. Whether it was Judy Human, you know, holding a 30-day protest, taking over a federal building, or Ed Roberts, or Kitty Cohen, or all those people that came before me, um, Justin Dart, etc., um, all of those guys, they were really good, and we got the law changed, and, you know, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the ADA, and that was a big breakthrough. But the second part of the evolution is changing people's hearts and minds, and that's not as tangible. It's not as easy to identify what has to happen. And I, my business background is almost entirely in marketing and media, and my friends are in that space. And when it occurred to me that the challenge for kids, and initially my focus was on physical disabilities because that's what I have, but for physical disabilities was mental. It was just the way people perceive them and the expectations people had of them and that they had of themselves that I realized that I could do something about them. That's what I do. I change people's perceptions, whether it's about a product or a band or a sports team, this is my job, this is what I've done for 25 years, and I can do that about disability. One of the things that surprised me is um, Judy Schumann 
played a, a, a pretty important role in me, me being here. Um, I she had come to Beijing um, a couple of years ago, and I was invited to meet with her. I was unable to meet with her because I was already en route to the U.S. Uh, she invited me to Washington D.C. I went there. I spent some time with her, actually two whole afternoons, and we talked a lot about the disability movement. And up until that point, I had no idea. I had no idea the history of it. I didn't know what independent living was. Um, I had no idea who she was. And we just started having this really wonderful conversation. And she started to ask me about what I thought needed to be done. And then she asked me what my plan was moving forward. And I really didn't know, but I kind of knew that I wanted to stay in the space because what she explained to me and what I was really surprised, um, I had lived in China for 10 years, so I was a little bit out of touch with the United States, that all of these things we talked about dealing with in China, although to a very different level, but they were still problems here in the United States. The perception kids have of themselves and the expectations so I realized that what I was doing in China still was applying to, would, would apply to the U.S., which is why we just opened Real Plus Rings here, actually. And, and then Judy had uh, made the suggestion that I apply for the job here at Berkeley. Um, I thought this was a good place for me to um, sort of try to, to push forward with that effort. Um, yeah. And we're certainly glad you did that, uh, Stuart, because of what... You're going to do to change things there. You mentioned a little bit about uh, the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley, but you know, anyone listening to the show, this is a great place to make a donation to. It really is changing, yes, but if you look back, it also has a great history. Could you talk about that, Stuart? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think by most accounts, people consider this the birthplace of the independent living movement. Um, we're the only center, as far as I know, that actually predates the law that funds all the centers around the country. Um, and we, we were created as sort of an offshoot, it sort of evolved out of the Cal Berkeley Students with Disabilities Program. We had this amazing group of people that included Kitty Cohn and Judy Herman and Ed Roberts and, and a very long list of others who in many ways, we're really just advocating for themselves, but with the understanding that anything we do for ourselves benefits all these people behind us. Um, and they created this organization that would be a peer-based model, people with disabilities understanding that we knew what was best for other people with disabilities and that we would sort of take charge of our lives and, and, and the way the society saw us. And so the center opened in 1973, um, and we were instrumental in passing and uh, in, in leading various protests and passing the, the 504 Disability Right. In fact, we have a big museum in our lobby right now for that. Um, and we today are, I hope, still leading the charge in what that means. We are about to make some substantial changes in the way we do things. Um, and I hope that will set the stage for independent living centers around the country. Um, uh, we almost on a weekly basis um, host international groups who have read about us or heard about us, and we give them a tour of the facility. We're in an amazing building, just so you know. We're in the Ed Roberts Center here in Berkeley, 
which is a, a building that is all disability rights organizations. We have DRED upstairs. We have BORP, which is a sports group. We have RID, the World Institute for Disability. And we're all in the same building. We all sort of work together in, in trying to keep the, the effort moving forward. Wow. And, yes, you're right. This center is not only the first. It's the most well-known yeah, it is history. You know, there's a new book out, Enabling Acts, by Leonard Davis that talks about uh, Ed Roberts and the Center for Independent Living. And, of course, everyone knows about the book No Pity, which also talks, you know, about everything that happened there with Judy Human and Ed Roberts. But even in the Disability Rights Museum on Wheels this year, there was uh, different artifacts from the Center on Independent Living, because as we celebrate the 25th anniversary of the ADA, we know how important the independent living movement is to that. Um, and, Stuart, it's exciting to see you in the midst of all of this. So, Stuart, what are the programs you're working on, you know, that will be under your leadership? Well, yeah, that, we're really trying to reshape what we do here at the Center for Independent Living. We have um, four core services um, that we need to provide. Um, the President Obama just added a fifth one, but it's unfunded at the moment, so we're, we're working through how we deal with that. And, and that's sort of the foundation of what we do. Um, but on top of that, sort of what we're going to do in terms of programming and the direction we want to go, we've decided to consolidate a lot of our services. The independent living philosophy sort of says we're supposed to try to help everybody with pretty much anything in terms of trying to create their independence. And that tends to be very difficult to do because the problems and the challenges are very diverse. And we don't always have the expertise or the answers to help those folks um, when it comes to trying to help. As an example, we have an employment program, and, you know, we have someone that may have come in here with who's, you know, 45 years old and hasn't worked for 15 years, and he, we now need to try to help him find a job. Um, we don't necessarily have the skill set to help that person along. Um, we want to. I don't exactly know that we know how to do it yet. We do know that we are very good at helping certain segments of the disability community. We know that we are very good at helping kids with college educations coming out of university with, uh, with degrees who are entering the job market but are not having success. Um, as you know as well as anybody, that we have a huge disparity in the employment rate for college-educated people with disabilities over their ability, or able-bodied peers. And we think we can close that gap. So we're going to start to create programming that focuses on closing that gap. Um, it doesn't mean we're giving up on everybody else. It just means that until we figure out how to help those other folks, we're going to focus on the places where we know we can make a difference. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, so I, apparently then employment is going to be a big thing. It's a huge problem. And we're finding out here, we've done a lot of research over the last year. I have a great employment guy named Paul Cordoposi here. And he and I have spent a lot of time trying to identify what the challenges are. And we found that some of them are really easy to fix. We are next door to the University of California, Berkeley. It's a top school, one of the best schools in the country. It has about 2,000 kids with disabilities. 
and a lot of them are coming out of the program and just not getting jobs. And when we started to speak with them, we realized that a lot of them were their own worst enemies. They were coming out of University of Berkeley with the idea, a really strong, passionate belief that nobody was going to hire them, that companies like Facebook and Google and Pandora and Pixar and companies in our backyard simply didn't want them because they had a disability. So they weren't trying. They were going to USA Jobs. They were applying for government jobs because they felt that that was the only group of people that were going to hire them. So we had to change that conversation for them. And we've been partnering with Google, Facebook, Lyft, and others. And they've been very helpful. And we do um, our new employment program is going to um, take five weeks. Um, It is instead of sort of dealing with fundamental things like resumes and job and, and job interview skills and things of that nature. It will touch on those things a little bit, but it's really going to be about bringing those kids into corporations like Google and Facebook and Lyft and having a conversation where those companies say, you know what, we really want you here and we're going to show you. And they do. Facebook took our kids around. One of the, one of the stories I love to tell is the, 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 the lady at Facebook who doesn't have a disability. One of our kids actually said to her, um, you know, we don't think you want us here. And she was appalled. And she said, and sitting at her desk with no prompting and not prepared, she said, don't want you, and pulled out screen readers and door buttons and all this accessible technology that she had at her desk because it needed to be installed at various places at Facebook. And she said, we're a technology company. We love this stuff. Anytime a new piece of equipment comes out, all our engineers are coming to figure out how it works because they think it's cool. And these kids just didn't see them. They, and so they were cutting their nerves off despite the face. They're not even trying to get jobs because they, they just didn't believe it. So we had to change that conversation. And then the second part of it was, really changing the conversation with companies to let them know that these kids were out there. That we had qualified individuals that were perfectly capable of working in their companies that had a passion to do so, and yet they were afraid, and they didn't feel welcome. So really it was a lot of what we're doing with our employment program now is trying to bridge that communication gap. Um, and we're, we're, we're having, we did two pilots this summer, um, two pilot programs this summer. They were wildly successful, not only in the result. Um, we had about two-thirds of our kids are employed after not having been employed for more than three years in jobs that they actually wanted. But more importantly, because we changed the way we approached it, because we made it exciting and dynamic, because we were out there talking to really cool companies and helping them bridge that gap, they haven't run away from us. Those kids come back and they're helping the next generation of kids move forward. I think, you know, one of the, I mentioned that I didn't want to talk about my disability. And I have found that we have in the disability community so many, so many successful business people that think like I did, that have paved the way forward, but because of their own mental challenges, like I had, have been unwilling to come back and take the next generation forward because the way we position the conversation of disability, that's a real problem. 
when we have people that succeed, we need them to come back. We need them to feel good about coming back and helping the next move, the next class go forward. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, yes. Um, we do need we do need to do that um, if we want to if we want to make a change. But right now, hey, we've got to go to break, um, and then we'll be back. We've been talking to Stuart James, the new executive director for the Center on Independent Living in Berkeley, California. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Stuart James. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. If you just tuned in, we're talking to Stuart James, the new executive director of the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley, California. Uh, Stuart, we were talking at the break uh, about our prior discussion. Do you want to make a few more comments about that? I do. So, you know, uh, we're, we are focused very heavily on trying to solve the employment problem where we know we can make a difference. The other issue we are really going to start focusing on, we've had some challenges with it at the moment, but is on uh, talking with kids. Um, and, and that's a two-part conversation because it starts with talking with kids and it, it also means talking to their parents. But I mentioned that I went to public school in 1975. I was the only one in my school with a disability, and I sort of had to find my way on my own. But more importantly, the school had to integrate me because they had no place else to put me. 
I don't know if it's true nationwide, but in our area, in Oakland and Berkeley, one of the challenges we face is that there are now so many kids with disabilities in the school system that they are segregated within the school system and not integrated as they should be. And this is something we need to address. Um, I want kids... Wow, I'm shocked to hear that. That's terrible. terrible. Um, it's, It's terrible at the moment. And um, we face a lot of challenges with this. And um, we have offered to go into the school system and try to provide services and programming, but we get stymied by the teachers' union who think that that's not our place, it's their place. Um, And because the teachers' union have been pushing back against us, then politicians in the area have not been so supportive because they need the teachers' union to get elected. Um, So this has been a big challenge for us. Um, But I think we have to change the conversation that we have with kids today about their future. I think the school system, at least here in Berkeley and Oakland, are really setting those kids up for life on Social Security, and that's absolutely the wrong conversation they should be having. And so that's something we are working very, very hard on right now. Um, I don't know the path forward yet, but we will find it, absolutely. Wow. I mean, still, that really shocks me. It does. I mean, that boy, that's like going backwards. That's terrible. Well, I'm glad you're taking that up because um, it's just terrible. Terrible. Sometimes things happen like children being taken taken from parents with disabilities or young people being stuck in a nursing home, things you just would not think happen, or the restraining orders on uh, children with disabilities. Uh, and, you know, it's that we, we've accomplished so much with the ADA, but we still have a lot to do, and we will be doing it uh, for a while. But together we can make a difference. Uh, Stuart. For you at the center, actually for the center itself, the Center on Independent Living, what are the big, biggest issues for you? The big challenges are we really, I think, fundamentally we need to diversify our income. I think a lot of the independent living centers, not just this one, have become too reliant on government funds. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and... But the problem is that we are, the government puts a lot of rules on how they give you money. And particularly at the lower levels, the municipal and state level. And sometimes we sort of get into this historic approach to solving problems that we need to fundamentally do it a different way. And within those systems, it can be a challenge because um, they don't like change. Um, we have been, we are, we are very fortunate in that we have a small endowment and that we have a little bit of flexibility to run programs outside our government funding. And that's what we're working on now. Um, We need to raise some more money, but this is what we're working on because we kind of said, you know what, particularly when we talk about employment, the employment rate for people with disabilities hasn't moved in 50 years. We have the ADA and we didn't move the dial. It's not that we didn't need the ADA. It's that we needed to do other things. And whatever those other things are, we're not yet doing them because we're not making progress. We need to do things differently. And in order to do things differently, i got to do it outside the bounds of what we've been doing before, and that means i got to go find funding to do it. So that's one. 
and sort of changing the story. I mentioned just now that we have to get access to kids, and the school system, at least here in Berkeley and Oakland, has been shutting us out. We've got to find a way in, and that we are working very hard with both the mayor of Berkeley and the mayor of Oakland to solve that problem. We're working with the Head Start programs. We're working with the YMCA, um, and I'm confident we will eventually start working with the school system, um, but we're not there yet. Uh, and I think, you know, it's hard to change the culture of something, um, but that's what we're working on. We're trying to be hipper and cooler. We're trying to put out a, a, a brand, really. We're trying to create a brand that people want to identify with, um, and that's a process. And we have a wonderful team here. Um, a lot of my management are, are very young, vibrant kids that want to make a difference. They're passionate. They're not doing it just because they have a job. Um, and so that's really exciting. And um, so it's a work in progress. It's, um, I'm new to the disability. I think one of the biggest challenges, I'm so new to the disability movement that I'm actually on my own learning curve. Um, but we'll get there. Yeah, well, um, you know, I always tell people a not-for-profit is like a business. You know, you still need to bring in revenues to run the organization. Uh, and so, uh, and I'm sure that business background of yours will really help in that area. But for you to do all those things you were talking about, you obviously need revenue. So over the next five years, what are your goals? What, what do you hope to see happen? I hope this has really changed the conversation uh, we have about disability. I hope to change the dynamics of how we qualify or quantify our success. At the moment, and I, this, this is a result of being government-funded, um, we, we sort of qualify our success based on how many consumers we have coming in the door and that we provide services for. I want to get away from that dynamic. I would rather serve less people but with better outcomes. So I'm trying to shift the focus to our measuring our success by how much we are able to help people. Um, and I'd like those numbers to change over the last five years. Um, I think that we want to put in programming that people want to identify with. Um, we're talking about an employment program that right now, our employment program, I mentioned we're right next door to Cal Berkeley. We have almost no Cal Berkeley students participate in our employment program up until the point that I got here because they felt that our program was, in such a, was designed in such to help a different set of people, and they didn't want to associate with that group. It's a fundamental problem in disability. It's that the balance that I had, I didn't want people to my, to identify me with my disability, and sometimes within that you sort of, you have people with physical disabilities that don't want to be associated with those with cognitive disabilities, and, and not that any of that is right. It's all not right, but it is and it is, and we need to start figuring out how to deal with those challenges. And I'm not really answering your question because I'm sort of going off on a tangent, but um, the next five years we've got to diversify our income. We've got to increase our success rate and use that as a measure by which we decide whether we're doing good or doing bad. We've got to get more young people involved in the program. Uh, 
We've got to change the story about disability so that people realize that it's cool. You know what? It's even sexy, depending on how you position it. Well, and we've got to create role models. We're a peer-based organization, and in order to be a peer-based organization, you've got to have role models participating in your group. Um, and so we're, we're working on developing those. Well, you got a lot of work to do there, Stuart. We have a Lucky lot of work to have do, you. and we're finding our way. I, I don't have all the answers yet. We're working on it. Um, it's going to be a lot of trial and error, um, but, you know, I, I spent the early part of my career working in Hollywood, and, and, and I think I came to the idea that we think big, and if we're going to fail, let's fail spectacularly. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully we don't fail. We're, we're going to succeed, but, you know, um, we, we try to, we, we're going to try to move the dial here. Right. Okay, well, listen, we're going to take a break, and then we'll be right back to close the show. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom, and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We've been talking today to Stuart James, the new executive director for the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley, California. And actually, student, uh, Stuart, there are two questions I'm going to ask you uh, very quickly. But one is, who is your role model? Who's my role model? Oh, my dad. Um, he was the guy that, just never allowed me to limit myself because of my disability. Um, and so it's it definitely my dad. Wow. He did a great job, Stuart. He did a really great job. Well, Stuart, he did. My mom, you... 
And my mom, mom, my mom, my mom oh, yeah, is you strong. Don't want to leave her out, especially since she'll be at your house. <laughs> Yeah, my mom. My mom better get some credit because she's flying here, and if she hears that, she's going to smack me in the back of the head. No, we don't <laughs> want that to happen. Okay, father and mother, we're counting them both, Stuart. Well, Stuart, uh, first of all, it's been a pleasure to have you as my guest today on the show. Uh, thank you very much for taking time to join us. Oh, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Joyce. All right. Well, Stuart, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Um, I think, you know what, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the ADA this year. It's a good law. It's a great law. It's not perfect, but it's, it's really good. Um, it's created an enormous amount of opportunity for people with disabilities. The next step, though, is what we do with those opportunities. I think we, we can't get too hung up on the past. We've got to think about the future. Um, I'm hoping that I can use the the bulk of my life experience to change the conversation about disability and encourage those, particularly children, to think outside the boundaries of their disability when they think about their future. And that's it, really. Well, that's a lot, especially the part about thinking beyond. And isn't that so true? Thinking beyond. Well, it has been a pleasure having you guest. I just want to say a special thank you to Highmark and Bear for sponsoring this show. Um, it means so much to me. But we got in with a quote, and our quote today is from the Secretary of Labor, Tom Perez, who said, with the ADA, we do have unfinished business, and that would be the employment of people with disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Hey, talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.